This podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. Thank you, choir and orchestra. Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Beautiful, beautiful day. Hope you'll be able to get out and enjoy it. Appreciated what uh, Joe said. Did you know that Mother's Day was uh, the fight for a day to recognize mothers was done by a woman who was not married and had no children, but she wanted to honor her mother, and so she fought to have this actually this day enacted. So whether you're a mother, whether you're single, or regardless of your status, we can celebrate Mother's Day. Well, we're beginning a new series this morning in the book of Judges. And I want to tell you, I want to kind of peek behind the curtain of our worship and our teaching team, Worship and Creative Arts, and talk a little bit about how the the, uh, series came to be. So I had mentioned, we were talking about what series we wanted to do between now and August 12th when Pastor Steve comes. And I had mentioned to Pastor Mike that I had done kind of a personal study in the book of Judges with a companion book by Tim Keller and just had found that it had come alive in some fresh new ways and I thought it would be cool to do uh, a series in the book of Judges and Mike said, oh, that has great stories. That would be phenomenal. That'd be great. So we thought we would kind of put it in here uh, this summer and start it on Mother's Day. And so we're sitting in a meeting and one of the things we try to come up with is good titles. So we were talking about what the title of this series should be. And finally, uh, Laura Vandergeesen said, well, what exactly is Judges about? And I said, well, Judges is actually a book about how the people of Israel needed a hero. They needed someone to rise up, a rescuer. And so God would, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about this in a moment, but God would raise up a a hero, a rescuer. And some of them were good. Uh, We're going to talk about the best one this morning. And some of them were okay, and some of them were horrible. And yet God used them, but none of them were ever enough. Uh, They needed somebody more. They needed another hero. And then all of a sudden from Phil's computer, we hear this. And uh, so then we had a discussion about how you had to be at least 10 years or older in the 80s to know that song, (laughs) or have seen Shrek 2. (laughs) And if you are a parent, and when your kids were watching Shrek 2, you started singing along, they go, how do you know that song? (laughs) Well, I was an adult during the 80s, and so we began to talk. Oh, and by the way, at the end of this whole conversation, Phil uh, Church says, ah, the 80s, best six months of my life. Thank you very much, Phil. In reality, the lyrics of this song actually very much fit the people in the time of the book of Judges. Very much fit. Judges is an in-between book. It is after Israel has been led by Moses through the wilderness, learning dependence all along the way uh, with God, and then Joshua leading them into the promised land. Um, And it is before the time of the kings. It's an in-between book. 
And God told his people that when they got to the land, they were not to forget him. We looked at Deuteronomy 8 sometime this last year and how God said, when you build houses, when you settle down, when you plant uh, gardens and, and farms and vineyards, do not forget that it was the Lord who brought you here. It was the Lord uh, that brought you to this land. And God had told the people that they were to be like him. They were to be holy. They were to demonstrate to everyone around them the nature and the character of God. But when Israel moved into the land, as we're going to see next week, they forgot who had brought them there. And oftentimes they began to look more like the people around them than the people of God. They took on worship of the, of the Canaanite gods, little g, and tried to mix that with their worship of Yahweh, which really was not worship of Yahweh at all, because the first commandment had said, you shall have no other gods before me. Judges is the story of what happens when we move away from following God. And what happens then is sin creeps in, and sin never corrupts us overnight, does it? It starts slow and small, but it's insidious. And in the book of Judges, we'll see that sin often has a cycle to it, as it does for Israel. The people would begin to worship something other than God. They would look to the people around them. They would begin to become like them. And God would allow those same people to then oppress his people, and they would become enslaved to them, and they wouldn't like that at all. Eventually, finally, in desperation, they would cry out to God to be delivered. And then God would send a judge, a hero, to fight for them and deliver them and hopefully to restore peace. And this is what the book is really all about. And this cycle happens over and over and over again until the very end of the story, which is really a picture of Israel's total failure to be faithful to God. And the book ends with this verse. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in his eyes. I want you to understand that Judges is also a very disturbing, bloody, and violent book. If Judges were a movie, it would be rated R or worse. So it helps that here in church... We're going to stick to the black and white story. We're going to tell some of the story. um, because it. But I want you to understand that even as we read the story, this is a very violent, difficult, bloody time. Difficult for those particularly who still believed in God and wanted to follow God. So the words of this song, holding out for a hero, really would have applied. Listen to them. Where have all the good men gone? And where are all the gods, little g? And where's the streetwise Hercules to fight the rising odds? Isn't there a white knight upon a fiery steed? Late at night I toss and turn and dream of what I need. I need a hero. I'm looking out for a hero till the end of the night. And he's got to be strong and he's got to be fast and he's got to be fresh from the fight. I need a hero. I'm holding out for a hero till the morning light. And he's got to be sure And it's got to be soon, and he's got to be larger than life. So we stole the title for our series in Judges, Holding Out for a Hero. Now, why study Judges on Mother's Day? Why study Judges at all, you might ask? Well, let me give you some reasons. Some reasons why we're studying the book of Judges. If you need to know 
that God doesn't just give second chances. If you need to go, that God gives third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances and sixth chances, then Judges is a book for you. If you feel like this world is a very dark place, you've watched the news the last couple, last many years, school shootings, crime, sexual assault, misuse of power, all kinds of things. And if there are some days when you don't know if you can go on or you wonder where God is in all of this, then Judges is a book for you. If you've ever looked up to, trusted, and followed a leader that you believed was following God, only to find that they were deeply flawed, sometimes in it for what they could get out of it, or even abuse their power and influence, then Judges is a book for you. And why on Mother's Day? Because we're going to jump in just a tiny bit ahead of the story. We'll back up next week and cover the first couple judges. We're going to jump in a little ahead at, and look at the very best judge that Israel had. The one who most reflected God's character of all of them. And it happens to be a woman named Deborah. So if you want to open your Bibles with me, open to Judges chapter 4. We're going to read about Deborah. Chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Again, Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, this phrase is repeated throughout the book of Judges. It's part of the cycle that we see them uh, live out. And now, Ehud, now that Ehud was dead, we'll find out who Ehud was last week, next week. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was, ba- uh, was based in Herosheth Hegoim because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron. Now, Israel had not learned yet to work with iron the way the Canaanites had. And so this man was very powerful, literally undefeatable. There was no way he could be defeated with these 900 chariots of, uh, of iron. And he had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, and they cried to the Lord for help. So see, we see this cycle. They, they, they begin to act like everyone around them. They move away from God. They do evil, and then they're oppressed, and then they cry out to God, and God sends a hero. In this case, the hero, the judge, was already living among them. Verse 4, now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Deborah. First, we note that Deborah was already leading in Israel at this time. Now, we have to believe that in this culture, as sometimes today, it was very unusual to have a woman in a political, uh, uh, military kind of leadership role. And, um, but here she was. And apparently nobody was necessarily blinking an eye. God's hand was on her. And here she was leading Israel. Notice that she stayed in one place. 
she kind of held court under the palm of Deborah, probably a little oasis with some shade, perhaps some water, and the people came to her. Unlike many other judges who would travel around, it's very likely that she felt this responsibility to the family, whether she was breastfeeding or whether she had to be home to get dinner or whatever, she stayed closer to home and still fulfilled her ministry. We're also told that this is the wife of Lapidoth. Now that's important because what that denotes is that he supported her in what she was called to do. He supported her in what she was called to do. Um, When my niece Carrie became an elder here, was nominated as an elder here at Sunset, there were a few uh, people who felt a bit of concern as the mother of four and almost five that she would have the bandwidth or the ability to serve in this leadership role uh, while she was at this stage of motherhood. And it was a valid concern. It truly was a valid concern. Except Carrie has a Lapidoth, her husband, Mark Peoples, who's completely committed to his family and was committed to helping her serve in this role. And Carrie's not alone. I think of Lindsay Smith. I think of Laura Vandergeesen. I think of Christina Matusik, who has served both here in this church and in the community, and each one of those women have a Lapidoth, a man at home who's committed to allowing them to serve in those ways. And I want to say thank you to every husband, father, and grandfather who has been a Lapidoth to their daughters, to their granddaughters, and to their wives. Thank you for allowing God, for doing what Ephesians talks about when it says a husband sacrifices for his wife and raises her up. Very important piece of all this. Um, Tim Keller calls Deborah a godly rescuer, and he describes her leadership this way. He says, as a prophetess, she preaches and teaches the word of God. She held court, but this is not a queen's court, but a courtroom where Israelites would come to her to have their disputes settled. Clearly, she's a wise counselor and judge, and the people come to her to settle all sorts of legal, social, and relational cases. And in this way, Deborah is very different from all the other judges before and after her. She is led from wisdom and character rather than from sheer might or military force. Deborah counseled and guided the people. So she comes the closest to being a godly leader of the people rather than just a military general. She was a judge beyond the battlefield. In all of this, we are reminded that God's chosen leader does not simply rescue, but rules and leads with wisdom and character. And Deborah was, in this sense, the greatest pointer to King David, and beyond that, even to Christ. Who can, as Isaiah says, bear the government on his shoulders and is called Wonderful Counselor and Prince of Peace. So now, let's go on with the story of Deborah. So, chapter 4 again, and now we're going to pick up with verse 6. She sent for, uh, for Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. 
I, meaning God, will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. And Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, and there Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command, and Deborah also went with him. Okay, what's happening here? Well, first of all, there's a lot of discussion theologically about what was going on. Uh, Was Barak afraid to go, and so he had to lean on a woman to go with him? Is that what was happening here? Did that show this tremendous lack of faith on his part? Tim Keller says, no, I don't think that's what's happening here at all. Now, Barak is having a bit of a crisis of faith. But the faith that he's having a crisis with is in God. Listen to what Deborah is telling him. She's not telling him, we can do this. She's saying, God will do this for us. And on that basis, you are to go. And of course, I'll go with you. I'm one of the leaders in Israel. This is a partnership thing, Barak. You will not go alone, but God is the one who will do this. Now, we know that whatever crisis of faith he was having, he overcame. Because if you go to the hall of faith in Hebrews, Barak is mentioned as one who had great faith. His name is listed there. But apparently, Deborah is also being prophetic here. She is saying, yes, everyone wants, when you're a military leader, you want to chop off in ancient world, not today, maybe today. In the ancient world, you want to chop off the head of your uh, opponent. That was what, that was what said that you would, you, somehow you wanted to be able to take charge of that person who led the other army. And she says to him, the, that honor will not go to you. It will go to a woman. And she doesn't say who. We'll discover who in a moment here. But I think essentially part of what she's saying is we want to make sure that God gets the credit for what's about to happen. Not any of us. Not any of us. Um, And then um, let's read the rest of this story. Let's start with verse 14 here. Then Deborah said to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Notice she doesn't say, hey, we can do this. We can, you know, this is all going to work out. She says, God, is, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? That's where your faith needs to be, Barak. Not in you or your 10,000 men, uh, not in me, but in God. So Barak went down to Mount Tabor, down my Tabor, with 10,000 men following him. And at Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Now, in a moment, when we get to chapter 5, I'll explain what happened here that allowed to have Israel have the victory. Um, Oh, by the way, verse 11 I'm going to skip back here for just a second. Verse 11 says, Now Heber the Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendant of Hobab, uh, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zananim near Kadesh. Now what's interesting about is if if you're reading through the whole passage, you'd think, well, what does that have to do with anything? Why is this Kenite 
and his wife now mentioned suddenly. And we don't realize why it's important until we get a little further in the story where we are at right now, where we're told Jael, um, Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, who had moved closer to the battle at this point. Um, because there was an alliance between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. Jael, so in other words, Sisera is going to assume this is safe haven, but he is wrong. Uh, Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in, don't be afraid. And so he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. Now, I can't remember, did I say that this is a very bloody, violent book? Did I say that? Okay, good. I want to make sure. After two services, you can't remember. Did I say that? Okay. So um, this is important to realize because we're coming to one of those places in the story that we wouldn't want to see on a screen. Okay? So uh, I'm thirsty, he said. Now, she knows he's exhausted. He's terrified. He knows he's lost the battle. All his men have been killed. And, and so he comes for safe haven. And she covers him with a blanket. He says, I'm thirsty. Please give me some water. Oh, she does much better than that. She opens a skin of milk and gave him a drink. It would have been about the consistency of a drinkable yogurt. That tells you how much time I spend with kids. I don't know what a drinkable yogurt is. Okay, but that's about what she gave him. What happens when you drink milk before bed? It hopefully helps kind of put you to sleep, right? So that's what she's doing. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he said. He told her, if someone comes by and asks you, is anyone in there, say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer. Now, she was a Bedouin. And uh, some uh, historical uh, pieces tell us that Bedouin women were the ones that set up their tent. This is not like a camping tent today. These uh, cloths were very, very heavy. And women were often the ones that wielded the mallet that put the tent pegs into the ground that held up, you know, hundreds of pounds of weight. So they had a lot of upper body strength. And she picked up a tent peg. Now remember, this peg is not sharp. This is wooden. It's long. And it's got some diameter to it. And she went quietly while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. And she drove the tent peg through his temple into the ground. And he died. Yeah, we ought to say, ooh. Just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple. I think it was through a little more than his temple. Let's be honest here. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. Notice who gets the credit for this battle. God does. Okay, so now I want to take you to chapter 5. This is probably the brightest spot in the whole book of Judges, one of the brightest spots, this chapter, this song of Deborah that she sings in praise and honor to God. Verse 1, on that day, Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang this song. Notice that they do it together. 
She believed in a partnership paradigm. As a woman in ministry over the years, particularly in church leadership, I'm very aware that many people in our culture and throughout time are more comfortable with a man consistently ministering uh, the word of God in those places. I'm aware of that. And not all of it is theological. Some of it is just cultural. It's what we're used to. And, um, And so as a woman in ministry, I have always felt that I need to make sure that I work with a partnership paradigm, that I partner with men and bring balance to the kind of ministry that a church does. And that's what she does. She sings this. This is the song of Deborah, but she shares it with Barak. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I... Even I will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. Her perspective as a leader is very different than perhaps that of many men. And we will see that in the other judges. Who God uses in Israel, but who do not do it with the same character and integrity and and humility that Deborah does. What she says is, What we're going to celebrate today is that God worked through the people. Now you get to the Psalms, and oftentimes David will talk about his kingship and how God used his kingship, how God used the king. And it's not inappropriate. It's very appropriate. But Deborah's view was far more inclusive. She says God used the people. God worked through the people. When they willingly offered themselves, praise the Lord. Notice she doesn't praise the people. She praises the Lord, but she acknowledges what they've done. Next Sunday, our session has determined to do this kind of celebration Sunday for many of us that have been serving here during this interim time. And I think it's very, very important. I think it's so important to say thank you. I'm grateful when those of you here come and say thank you to me. When I walk through the building and I see people serving during the week or on Sunday, just in what they think are small ways, I always try to stop and say thank you. Thank you for serving in Helping Hands. Thank you for ushering. Thank you for working in the children's ministry. Thank you for the things that you do here. It's so important to do that. But the praise and the honor and the glory go to God, not to us. And we humans love to take some of the glory sometimes. So tempting to do that. She goes on in verse 4 and says, When you, Lord, went out from Zir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook and the heavens poured and the clouds poured out water and the mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord God of Israel. Oh, that's what happened. There's the clue. Apparently, God placed a very timely rainstorm around the battle. And we all know what happens when you get a deluge of rain in a place that doesn't get much rain. Think of California. What happens? Mudslides. And if you have 900 chariots charging up a mountain and you hit a deluge of rain, you are stopped dead in your tracks. And that's exactly what happened. And Israel was coming down the mountain much easier. And that's how they won the battle. 
Listen to what else she says. Villagers in Israel, or in the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. She said before this battle, nobody would travel in Israel. They were too fearful of the Canaanites. Um, Travelers took to winding paths. Villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose a mother in Israel. God chose new leaders when the war came to the city gates, but not a shield or spear was seen among the 40,000 in Israel. She says, we were not equipped for this battle. We could not trust in ourselves. We could not trust in our weapons. We had nothing to trust but God. My heart, she says, is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. Deborah was more than willing to share the glory of the battle with everyone, but most of all, to have it point towards God. She's saying to the people, thank you for participating. Isn't God good? Hasn't he been faithful to us? He's the one we need to praise. Thank you for all you've done. I know that you've come into this not knowing what would happen. Thank you, but let's give the glory to God. And now I'm going to skip a section here, and for the sake of time, you can read through it. There's some wonderful things that she says about the people, about the way God has worked. And then she says in verse 24, Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Most blessed of the tent-dwelling women. He asked for water, she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. She knew how to kind of lure him in. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera, she crushed his temple. She shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell, there he lay. At her feet he sank, he fell, there he sank, he fell dead. And it's interesting. Uh, Some uh, legends say that it's possible that Jael's daughter had been cruelly abused uh, by some of Sisera's men. And that would add a whole new layer to the story, wouldn't it? That would help you understand what gave this woman the strength uh, to come against this leader, to move her tent, to hope to be involved in his destruction. We don't know if it's true, but it certainly makes sense to us. And then she does something very, very interesting. She thinks about... Sisera's mother. She even sees her enemy through eyes of compassion. Did she want this enemy to be defeated? Yes. But listen to what she says. Verse 28. Through the window peered Sisera's mother. Behind the lattice she cried out, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why is the clatter of his chariots delayed? The wisest of her ladies answer her. They try to soothe her, essentially. Indeed, she keeps saying to herself, oh, maybe they're just finding and dividing the spoils, a woman or two for each man, which gives you a sense of the cruelty of these people. Colorful uh, garments as plunder for Sisera, colorful garments, embroidered, highly embroidered garments for my neck. All this is plunder. She's thinking, maybe he'll bring me a Mother's Day gift. But he's not coming home, is he? But Deborah even thinks of his mother. 
as she thinks about how God is working in this way. She ends the passage with this, 31. So may all your enemies perish, Lord, but may all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. And then the land had peace for 40 years. Now, probably only one other person in the Old Testament really spoke about God with this kind of personal language of love, and that was David. That was King David. Clearly, Deborah's relationship with God was very personal. It was very personal. I love this chapter for a lot of reason, or these two chapters in Judges. I think it's a great place for us to start. And clearly, she's a mother, until I, a mother in Israel, arose. And today we celebrate moms. And it's an important day. I think it's wonderful. It's not just a Hallmark holiday. I know that goes along with it, you know. But I think it's truly a day to honor moms. And moms are heroes. Moms are heroes. They truly are. Uh, I've had the vicarious privilege of understanding a mom's life through my sisters and sister-in-laws and now my nieces and niece-in-laws and watching them raise their kids. And I stand in awe. On Thursdays, I watch Carrie's girls, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm ready to go home at the end of the day. And she doesn't get to. She has to hang in there with, you know, vomit and diarrhea and whiny kids and way too much PJ masks and, you know, and if you don't know what that is, it's okay. Um, it's a lot. And all the seasons, I think of my friends whose kids are now grown And oftentimes I think it was easier when they were just here and I could just keep them from falling down. But now I have to watch them navigate their lives. Those of you that have stood by grandkids and faithfully, and I know both moms and dads do this. We'll get to you dads in June, but for right now, we honor honor moms. But moms, moms, you are heroes. You are heroes. But let me tell you something. You are not enough. You are not enough. You're a hero, but you're not enough of a hero for those crazy, hectic, demanding toddler years. You're not enough for those school-age years when their minds and their hearts are being deeply influenced and developed, formed. You are not enough of a hero for those turbulent teen years. You're not enough of a hero for launching them into mother or into... adulthood. You're not enough as you watch your kids grow up, have their own families, struggle to figure life out as parents in their businesses and their career pursuits. Your work is heroic, but you are not enough. You need a hero. And the good news for us today, all of us, is we're no longer holding out for a hero. That was true in the days of the judges. They were holding out for a hero. We aren't. We have one. And his name is Jesus. And he is enough. And he says, I will be enough at every season of your life, Mom. Whether you are just beginning or finishing, I will be enough for you. And I will be enough through you. And that really is the message of Deborah. That really is the message of Deborah. We're going to come. I'm going to invite any of you that are prayer 
warriors, elders, and if you want to make your way over there, and we'll make that place available for prayer. We're going to end our service today with a wonderful, I call it a new hymn. Um, it's not one of the old hymns of the faith, but it's a, it truly is a hymn, In Christ Alone. I love this song, and I think it's a beautiful way for us to end our series and to kick off our series on Judges, to say, in Christ alone, we do what we do. We will move forward as men and women, as moms and dads, as single people, as grandparents, as retirees, as high schoolers and college-age young people, We will move ahead as a church in Christ alone, not our own strength, but in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these stories. They are sometimes very difficult for us to understand. We don't get in our world today the violence, although we kind of do. We don't understand how you use all this. So teach us as we move forward with the series. But Father, more than anything else, may we give the honor and the praise to you. May we say with complete dependence, we live, we move, we breathe in Christ alone. Amen. Amen and amen. Happy Mother's Day. I hope you feel honored. This is Remy Dawn, and uh, she's got my middle name, so she's pretty special to me. And uh, so I want you to celebrate today, but I want you to remember all the honor and power And glory goes to God alone. Amen and amen. Amen. Go in peace.